You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Here's a guy who's even come to the place, he understands the two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The only problem is, and that's the implication Jesus has, he's not living it out. As religious as it is, and as much as he knows, he's not saved, because there's no action. There's no action. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It might involve feeling, but after the feeling, you do something. I do something. We do something. Jesus had a unique encounter with a young man who seemed to know it all. He knew the scriptures and he understood the premise of loving God and others. But as Pastor Danny just said, that's where it ended. His knowledge didn't turn into action. Today, there are many people who know about Jesus. They believe that he was good, but they're not ready to take action. Is that you? Well, today it's time to act. It's time to do something about what you know. Start a new life today by accepting Jesus as your Savior. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 John chapter 2 with today's edition of The Living Word. Jesus said, you of of your father, the devil. So in other words, these religious leaders, they manifest more the character of hell than they did heaven. And with that kind of religious climate, all right, imagine this, enter Jesus. And he not only tells them, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, and then he lived it out. He lived it out. Listen to this. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, that's Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Amazing verse. It gets even more amazing when you think about, well, Hebrews 1.3, he's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And yet Jesus said in John 6.46, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Now that statement uh, on the surface sounds like it contradicts kind of like, you know, John here, what he's saying, I'm not giving you a new command, but I am giving you a new command. And he says, nobody has seen the Father. And yet in John 14, listen, here's what he said. He's telling his disciples he's about to leave. They're like, where are you going? Uh, And he tells them, in my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and I'll come back and receive you, and you can be with me. All right? You pick it up in chapter 14 of John, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I'm the way the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you'd know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
He's not talking about literally seeing the Father in all of his glory and majesty, which we'll all see him like that one day. What he's saying is, you want to know what the Father's like? If you've seen me, you know what the Father's like. Because he's just like me and I'm just like him. I'm in him and he's in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know what God is like. You know what God is like in living, breathing flesh. Truth and love had never before been perfectly personified in a human being until Jesus showed up on the scene. And now the world can know. Catch this. The world can know what God is like in living, breathing flesh. All you got to do is look at the life of Jesus, and you know what God is like in living, breathing flesh. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. You jump down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh. Wow. But if you think that's the greatest mind blower, Isaiah said, chapter 7, one of his names will be Emmanuel, which is God with us. That's not the greatest mind blower to me. Go back to 1 John, chapter 2, verse 8. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you. There's the mind blower. And you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. I'll tell you what I think that means in just a second. Jesus said about us, here's what he said. You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. What an amazing thing. That we have the privilege of letting the world see what God is like in living, breathing flesh. We're not talking about sinless perfection, but if we are being conformed into his image, if we're walking as he did, what does that mean? It means we walk in love. The darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Practically speaking, I'm convinced, I'm convinced of what that means. You're the light of the world. And we give evidence, and we, by our very lives, are meant to point to a day. Listen, a day. Chew on this one. A day when we will live in a world, there is nothing in that world but love. There are no arguments. There are no divisions. There's no racism. There are no denominations. There are no political parties. Nobody will ever get in a fight. Nobody will ever hate anybody. Nobody will ever not like somebody. Hey, come on. If you were to raise your hand, if I were to say, is there anybody around even in the church that you don't really like? Oh, you love them, but you don't like them. We're going to live in a world that's absolutely, completely filled with love, and there won't be anything else. It's all love. That's what that verse has to mean. The darkness is passing, the darkness of this present world, where there's such a lack of love. And we're the light. You're the light of the world. And we give evidence that there's going to be a day when there'll be nothing but love in the world we'll live in. That's just, I, I, I just can't get over it. I can't get over it. First John 3, 2, one of the first verses I memorized as a young Christian. Brethren, we don't know what we shall be, but when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be like him. Now, we'll never be God. Don't misunderstand that. We'll never be God. There's only one God. <laughs> But we're going to be like God in love and character. We're going to get new bodies. We're going to have to deal with sin anymore. It's just going to be absolutely incredible. 
we're going to be like Jesus. You know what the greatest evidence of Christianity is? True Christianity. I'm talking true Christianity. The greatest evidence. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You let that sink in. Listen, it hit me fresh. Not how many verses you can quote. Not how sound your theology is. That's important. That's not the greatest thing. Not how big the church is. Not how nice the building is. It's not what God says is the greatest witness. No, the greatest evidence of true Christianity is this right here, right here. That's it. Now, in the closing few moments, let's dissect Jesus and his personification of love. And here are some items that I've come up with biblically. First of all, full of compassion and mercy. Matthew 9 says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let me tell you something. That is more than a warm, fuzzy feeling. That's not biblical uh, to, to just say, oh, I feel for you. Oh, I feel so bad about your situation. Psalm 116, verse 5 says, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. James said, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, I want you to go back with me for just a minute to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, remember a few minutes ago we read from it, expert in the law comes to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, etc., and love your neighbor as yourself. But then you pick it up. That's not the end of the, the encounter. You pick it up, verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? In reply said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, implying it's a Jewish man. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, a Jewish priest, happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. You would think the guy that's going to stop and help the dude is the priest. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, most least likely person, because Samaritans and Jews had no dealings with one another in this culture. As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Here's a guy who knows his Bible backwards and forward. Here's a guy who's even come to the place, he understands the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The only problem is, and that's the implication Jesus has, he's not living it out. As religious as it is and as much as he knows, he's not saved because there's no action. There's no action. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It might involve feeling, but after the feeling, you do something. I do something. We do something. His love is inviting, welcoming. I thought of how to say this. I don't know a better way to say it. Maybe you'll write me afterwards and tell me a better way to say it. 
Even Jesus' own critics, here's what they said about him. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Oh God, I want to be more like Jesus in this regard. It's not compromise, but listen, the adulterer was welcomed by Jesus. The prostitute was welcomed by Jesus. The people that felt the most uncomfortable around Jesus were the religious crowd. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Oh my God, how I want more when I encounter people out in the world, the drunkards, the drug addicts, the prostitutes. I want to be inviting. I want to be welcoming in a godly way, in a loving way. I know you do too. Oh man, I want to be more like Jesus. A friend. What a thing to, what a thing to be accused of. I pray the religious crowd around here accuses us of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Matter of fact, we kind of, we need to go further, but we kind of already are. It's amazing how many churches refer people to us because they don't want to deal with them. That's the truth. We'll go over to Calvary Chapel. They'll help you. It's actually a shame, isn't it? Completely humble. Completely humble. You remember the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet You remember how that story opens? Here's how it opens. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And then it tells us he went and girded himself with the towel, he took the the water, and he stooped down, the king of kings and lord of lords. The one that one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, and believer and unbeliever and say, he... He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And two of those feet he washed were the most stinky of all of them, Judas's. You talk about humility. The king of kings and lord of lords. He showed them the full extent of his love. He's completely humble. I've met some people in the church and they're like, well, yeah, I understand. I don't do windows. No, you don't understand. See, I got talent. I can be up here. I can play. I can sing. You know, you don't want me, you don't want me cleaning the restrooms, do you? No, uh, people will be missing out. That's exactly where you need to start, cleaning the restroom. Ephesians 4.2 says, be completely humble. And if we're going to be like him, that's it. Nothing beneath us. But let me throw you the curve. Here's the curve. God's love is confrontational. Confrontational. Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, she was surprised that he would even begin a conversation with her because Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. But if you read that conversation, he said things like salvation is of the Jews. On the surface, that sounds proud. That's not proud. But he, he could have said, well, you got your belief and I got my belief. Let's just love one another. He didn't do that. He said, if you want real, you want this water that I offer you, you want the water that you'll never thirst again, your doctrine is wrong. What you're believing is wrong. He confronted her doctrinal position because unless she was willing to change her doctrinal position, she couldn't be saved. But that's love. The rich young ruler, remember, he comes to Jesus like the expert in the law. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, you know the commandments? And he says, well, I've kept these since I was a boy. And Jesus said, well, there's one more thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me, and you'll have great riches in heaven. Now, does God tell everybody to do that to be saved? Of course not. He didn't tell me to do that. Why did he tell this guy? 
because it was his money and his materialism that was blocking him. That's what was keeping him out of heaven. As nice of a guy as he might have been, as much as he believed in God, uh, he, he, that was the thing. That was, his money was his God. And that's why Jesus confronted it. He said, there's one thing you lack. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor, and then come follow me, and you'll have great riches in heaven. Mark's gospel is the only one that tells us, chapter 10, verse 21, and here's what it says. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. That's what it says. He loved him. And that's why he told him the truth. And it says, when Jesus said that to him, he walked away very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And notice what it doesn't say after that. It doesn't say Jesus comes and says, I'm so sorry I offended you. Or maybe I was a little too much. Maybe just give a little bit away. And maybe let's grow this thing, you know, over time. He loved him, but he confronted him in his greatest need and the thing that was keeping him out of heaven. And then when the guy walked away, he let him go. He let him go. Thank God I don't have time to read all of Matthew chapter 23. You talk about a blistering message. I mean, the most blistering message recorded by Jesus. <laughs> it has in here things like, uh, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves don't enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Ooh, that's warm fuzzies there, isn't it? Let me tell you. He calls them snakes. Repeatedly calls them hypocrites. You say, that's so unloving. He's telling them the truth. And they were so hard-hearted, they needed a blistering message to wake them up. Don't miss how it ends. After he just laid it out, verse 37, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. He wants them to come to him. He wants to love them and bless them. Or I should say he already loves them. He wants to bless them. He wants to save them. That's why he gave them such a strong message. You read Stephen's message in Acts chapter 7, one of the first deacons of the early church. It sounds like Jesus in Matthew 23. He says, you people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like your fathers. You're just like your forefathers always resisting the Holy Spirit. And he got to the end of that message, and they're so mad, they pick up stones, and they begin to throw stones at him. They ended up killing him. And before he breathed his last, you know what he said? Father, forgive them. Where do you get that from? I think we know. It was just like Jesus. You remember the letter, Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea? Jesus said, you guys say you don't need anything and you got wealth and you're okay and spiritually they, th they thought they were fine. But he said, you're lukewarm. You're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. And because you're neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And, and he's saying, you really make me sick because you're just half-hearted. You're on the fence. And he tells them the truth. And here's what he says. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. The church of Laodicea, he loves the church. But he told them the truth. He told them what they needed to hear. Now, I love being able to end this way. Forgiving. Man, you talk about forgiving. But catch this. Jesus said, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
That's pretty plain. We're not talking about a works-based righteousness. We're just talking about the bottom line, the bottom line. What's the evidence that our faith is genuine? Colossians 3, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have uh, against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When it says whatever grievances, you know what whatever means in the Greek? It means whatever. You fill in the blank. doesn't matter. Whatever. I love in 1 Corinthians 13, I like to quote this occasionally to my wife. Uh, verse 5, it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It's a good verse for husbands to memorize. You're going to need it. If you're a newlywed, go ahead and memorize it. You're going to need it. Keeps no record of wrongs. Let's hang on that one for a minute. Let's go back and finish it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Could refer to somebody who's not saved, could refer to somebody who's saved, and yet they're not willing to forgive. They're not willing to do what Jesus did. That word hate can be a literal hatred, uh, like King Saul developed uh, against David, where he sought his own, David's life, and he tried to kill him. It can be a literal hatred. But it's a word that also can mean neglect. And that's a good final couple of verses to summarize what the main point is today. This proverb says, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Obviously, that's not talking about an emotional hatred. It's talking about a neglect. So if you say you love your kids and you don't discipline, you don't really love your kids. Or you have warm fuzzies about them. They're your kids, but you don't really love them. And I'm not going to get off on a message on parenting. But I want us to understand the application, uh, bringing it around to a real summary in those last few verses, uh, it means being willing to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us and also not neglecting not neglecting. Jesus told a whole parable about it in Matthew chapter 25. It's called the parable of the sheep and the goats. And the sheep, those who are truly his, they visited those in prison. They clothed the naked. They helped the sick. They did all these good things. And that was proof that they were genuine. The goats, they did not do those things. And so there was no evidence. They weren't really his. Now, we got to end this thing well, we don't have to, but we're going to try to on a real positive note. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He did sit up in heaven and go, I really feel for him. I really love him. He did something. And then the son prayed in the garden of Gethsemane and said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, yours be done. In that while we were yet sinners, did you hear that? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You talk about love. And his love, his love is perfect. His love is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. One last verse, and I close with this one. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Can't get any more plain than that. We love because he first loved us. So in response to his love for us, then we love one another, and we love the world, 
and we forgive one another. We bear with one another. We endure persecution for his name. At the same time, we reach out in very practical ways. And that proves that our faith is genuine. Once you get involved, once you get plugged in, once you find a place that you can actually become relational, once you find a place you can actually serve, We're so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. The Living Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're a group of believers who seek to live and love just like Jesus did. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider partnering with us as we continue to share the hope of salvation with the world. Pray that God would touch each listener with His love and open their hearts to the truth of His Word. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Pastor Danny will continue his study in 1 John next time, so we hope you'll join us again. But in the meantime, we encourage you to read through 1 John on your own and ask the Lord to reveal who He is. People from every generation have struggled to understand who God is fully, but when you spend time in His Word, you begin to understand His heart. This is what the Apostle John understands and was so diligent to write about. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Fellowship as you dive into your relationship with Jesus. For service times, directions, and more, visit ccfstpete.church. That website once more is ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for tuning in as we teach the Word to reach the world. Join Pastor Danny next time for more from 1 John right here on The Living Word.